It's good to be gathered together. It's good to worship. And then, don't know about you, but on the way in, was there anybody singing, it's beginning to look a lot like? Yeah, all right, all right, yeah. Okay, maybe not all of you, some of you. Uh, I told my wife the other night, I was like, I'm seeing more lights up and songs sung earlier than normal. Usually it's like, not until after Thanksgiving. But it's like, in the way this world is right now, I think a lot of us are like, bring the hope, bring the light. I don't care, let's be festive. Let's, let's just celebrate a beautiful time of the year and the truth of what this year is all about or that time of the year is about, right? The birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Well, I heard about two men... Um, walking into this field and they got into this field and they didn't realize so they're halfway across the field that that field actually belonged to an angry bull. And then they realized they saw the bull in the distance start charging and they're like turned and started running as they're running and running. The bull's catching up with them and the one guy's like, John, pray for us. Please pray for us. I don't think we're going to make it. And John's running. He goes, I've never prayed a public prayer before. I don't know what to say. He goes, just say anything. He's like, well, I'll pray what my father prayed before every meal. Lord, for what we are about to receive, we give thanks. <laughs> Do you ever feel like 2020 is a raging bull? I mean, it's just like, okay, I don't know, Lord. With everything that's come there this year, it's like a raging bull. And I guess for what we're about ready to receive, we're still going to find a reason to say thanks, right? I've heard many people say this year, as crazy as it's been, it's been a year for us to really look at what we have in Maybe ask, have I taken advantage of what I've had? Have I taken for granted what I have? And it's caused us to look back and say, I missed this, I missed that, which means what? We're very thankful for all those things, aren't we? So this really has been a year for us to maybe look back and say thank you because we know this, we have a great God, amen? And because he is great, we can thank him for many things. We have a reason to say thank you. And last week we looked at how the children of Israel, as they had left Egypt, and they had been enslaved in Egypt, and then they were pinned against the Red Sea, and then they were without water and without food, and they complained, and it was like one thing after another. But what does God do? God provides, right? So we looked at how God provided water for those that were thirsty, and he provided food for those that were hungry. And the people, once again, they took their complaining, and they just sort of set it aside, and they was like, all right, let's praise God again. Let's give him thanks. Seemed like a never-ending cycle, right? But here's what it was. It was a Thanksgiving moment. When we think about Thanksgiving, we think of the Indians and the pilgrims and the, May, uh, the Mayflower and all these wonderful things. We look back in history and we try to piece all that together. And it's like, I'm telling you, there was moments of Thanksgiving before that ever happened. And we can see it in Scripture. Because God is so loving, He gives. And when God gives, we respond. There's an attitude of gratitude, right? But there's more to that. When you look at the word thanksgiving, you can only separate it there because there's that part of a thank you, right? But what's that next part? It's, it's giving. And when then sometimes we sort of overlook that. And I guess I want to sort of focus on that part because we talked about thanks last week and not being complainers. But when we say at the end of every service, as I always say, go what? Be the church. You hear me say that all the time. Basically, what I'm saying is, I want us to go strive to be Christ-like. I don't want us to go out and just preach truth. I want us to live truth. I don't want us to just go out and say, love one another. I want us to see put love into action. That's what it means to be the church. We're going to go be Christ-like. We're going to strive to be people who are, who are grateful. And we give thanks to a holy God that we just sing about. I'd, I'd hate for us to come and sing about God, how awesome he is, but then go act like he isn't. He is. We need to live that way. 
So God gives and we say thank you. So that's right. God gives and we say thank you. That's what we do. That's what God's people do. And we reply. We also give back. You know, this church has been very faithful in giving. And I want to just say that to you and say thank you. Um, but I want to ask you this. Do you know why you give? When you, when you open up your, your checkbook or when you make a deposit, when you put money in the blessings box, do you, do you know why you're doing that? I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church that had pews. And we had ushers. And ushers had plates, offering plates. And they would walk down the aisle at the end of the pastor's, during the pastor's prayer, and they'd come forward. And, and then special music would play, and they'd walk, and they'd pass the plate in between every row, and everybody, you know, put money in. All. That's what I grew up with. And, and when we started this church, we said, we're just going to do a blessings box. It's sort of like what happened in the temple back in the day, when around the temple there was boxes. People put their offerings and their tithes in. So that we went to that route. But my question is, do you know why we do that? I mean, there's a lot of good reasons. Some of you are like, oh, well, the heat today in here, thank you. Chairs, we had to pay for those somehow, right? Take care of staff, insurance, whatever it may be. Electricity, oh, that's good. Thank you for giving because that helps keep the electric going, right? Oh, but there's more. When we say be the church, understand that we have, when you look at our budget, you'll see the missions part. See, we take 10% or more and we like, Take that and we give back to so many other places. We give to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We give to HCRN, which is a disaster relief program in the missionary conference. When there's a major disaster goes on, our money is going to help those in need. We give to FISH here in Wauseon. We give to Miracle Camp, Children's Lantern, that worked with fostering kids, adopting children, and uh, rescuing them out of sex trafficking. We give to that organization. We give to Jason and Becky Sue on the Freedom Ministries in the Dominican Republic. We support them. We give to John and Deb Siegel, who are Bible translators uh, over in Russia. We give to Alfonso Mack, who's at Bowling Green State University with H2O Church, ministering to campus uh, students. We give to the Gideons to purchase Bibles. We give to our own benevolence, which takes care of people in our church, people in the community. Food pantry. Every Wednesday night, we go to Panera and pick up. Uh, they donate to us every Wednesday night. We pick up like six bags of baked goods. They bake fresh that day. The leftovers we get. We get home, put on the gloves, Ziploc bags, and zip them up. And then we give them to our food pantry on Thursdays. And then usually I'm also dropping off a box at the police department, nursing home, and the schools, blessing all of them. Um, it's, it's amazing what goes on. We just wrote a $1,000 check to a foster teen Christmas program. A lot of foster children get beautiful gifts from different toy drives and that, but teenagers don't. So there's a program they just started to help bless teenagers who are foster kids. And so we said, yeah, let's bless them. Let's help them out. Um, during um, Halloween, there was, I can't remember, dozens of kids that were under quarantine, so they weren't going anywhere at Halloween. So we made up little baskets of goodies and took them to the kids. We trick-or-treated them, I guess, to say. There's people in our church and nursing homes due to COVID, health risk, whatever, that can't come on Sunday mornings. They're watching online. So we said, let's bless them. We miss them. We haven't seen them since March. And it's like they, they're not going to be coming back as quick. So we bless them. There's so much that we do in this church to keep the church moving forward and then to be the church. I want you to be aware of that because our vision, we want to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ. 
That's what we're all about. But let me ask you this question again. But why do we give? Everything I just said there, that's, that's, that could be part of it, but that's not the reason why we give. That's what we do with what we give. But why do we give? In your Bibles, I'll put the scripture on the screen. You can turn there if you want, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 47. It's the, they always talk this about the, the first church when the church started. It said, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, which included the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Verse 46. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You see, giving is part of our foundational belief as who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. It's part of our spiritual DNA, just as praying together, just as giving, and just as you would share a meal with each other. There are certain things that we do as a church, looking into God's Word, studying it, hearing the Word. These are all part of our DNA, and giving is right in there with it. They met together daily, it says. Can you imagine that? Hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Monday, we're going to meet together at the church. What are you going to do Tuesday? Meeting together at the church. Wednesday? Let me guess. Church. Yeah. Why? Because that's what we do. There was joy. There was generosity. They sold their property and their possessions, and they gave to those in need. And what happened? God said people were saved, what? Every day. Can you imagine that? Hey, we met together yesterday. Guess what? People came to know the Lord. Hey, we met together today. Guess what? People came to know the Lord. There's incredible salvation taking place. Here's what I believe. It's a principle that we can write this down. When we live out the life of Christianity as God intended, great things happen. I believe that. Giving is so foundational to who we are as God's people, but how often do we speak about giving? When's the last time you heard me preach a message on giving? Uh, If you can remember, please tell me. Okay, you might have to archive it and double check. Maybe, oh wait, maybe last year when the budget came around, we're going to be voting on our church budget. We're very transparent. We're like, here, check it out. This is what we're spending our money, right? So you can all look at it and we vote on it every year. Maybe that was the last time. I don't know. But I don't know if you knew this. In God's word, there are over 500 verses on prayer. Did you know that? And when it comes to faith, there's just close to about 500 verses on faith. So together, prayer and faith combined, there's about 1,000 verses in the Bible. That's a lot of scripture, isn't it? Oh, but wait, what about giving? Well, let's throw in anything on money and possessions. That's 2,350 verses. Twice as much in the Bible about money and possessions than there is about faith and prayer. When Jesus uh, taught, sometimes he taught in parables which are certain stories, right? 36 parables in the New Testament, in the uh, Gospels, 21 of them talked about money and possessions. Now, if you took the parables and all of his other teaching and how much he taught about money and possessions, it came out to about 15% 
of the time he was talking was about money and possessions. 15%, so let me help you out with that. Out of the year, if I preach on giving 15% of the year, once every seven Sundays, I'd be up here talking to you about giving. That's how often Jesus did. But yet, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a little nervous about talking about that. But here's why God approach this subject and talk about it. Because God knows that he is in competition with money and possessions. He knows that his relationship with us is in competition with the things of this world. How much time do we spend reading God's word, spending time in worship, doing the things like the first church did, compared to the time we focus on finances and money and hobbies and, and uh, movies and electronics and all that kind of stuff. Pursuing money, good deals, fortune, are definitely in competition with pursuit of God. It just happens. He knows it. So he addresses it. And I think we should too. So understand that when I'm going to be addressing this right now, this is not a... Come on, church, get it together. No, it's, this isn't about beefing up our offering. As I told you at the beginning, we are a blessed church. And I am so thankful for this church because you are a giving church. What this is about is about blessing and obedience. It's about fulfilling the DNA of our Christianity, right? It's sort of like this. What, what if my football team, let's say I played out for a professional football team, okay? And we practice... Five days out of the week, we get one day off, and then we have our game on the, on the seventh day, okay? But let's say out of those five practice days, I'm only going to show up and practice two, maybe three times. And then when I do show up at practice, if I'm on defense and I'm supposed to be practicing tackling people, I'm like, I'm not going to practice tackling. We'll just see if it comes through on game day. And if I'm on offense, an offensive lineman, which I was, then it's all about blocking, right? I'm not going to block during practice. I'll just wait till game day, and then I'll block. You know what's going to happen to my team? We're going to lose, and we're going to lose often. Because I'm not, one, I'm not showing up to practice, and two, when I do show up at practice, I'm not doing everything I should be doing. So as Christians, sometimes we're like, I don't understand why my faith is such a struggle. I don't understand why things are going so wrong for me. Let me ask you this. Are you doing what God's asked you to do? If he's our head coach, and I don't like really always using that kind of terminology, but if he was our head coach, and he wants us to show up, and he wants us to do these things, and we're not doing them, why are we expecting victory? It makes sense when we struggle and when we fail, when we're not being obedient. And so when I look at this, I think Thanksgiving, as it's approaching here, it's a combination of what? Showing gratitude, saying thank you, and what else? And it's also a thing of giving. So I want to encourage you this morning with this, this message. Is, it's not about, hey, we need to get better at giving. It's like, church, I want to encourage you to keep going. I want to encourage you to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Can continue the journey that you're doing. When God led his people out of Egypt, he established this immediately. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 13. Exodus 13. Remember, this is a new nation. They left Egypt. They have started a whole new nation. And if you're a new nation, you better have rules. You better have a boundaries. You better know what you're doing. They needed direction. They needed boundaries. They needed encouragement to follow through. God gives them the Ten Commandments, right? But before the Ten Commandments, he gave them a few other things they were supposed to do. So as they leave Egypt, one of the initial things God said to them before they even got to the Red Sea was this. Everything that we own belongs to God. That's, that's going to be a 
basic principle that he's going to share with them. Okay? Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Genesis 1.27 says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Basically, God created mankind. He created this earth. Then God delegated all that authority over the earth to us. We became managers. It's all God's stuff, and we are to manage his stuff, is what he's telling us here. And you think about this, because I know a lot of times, like, yeah, whatever, I earned it. It's mine. Yeah, whatever, God gave it to me. I did all the work. Mm, before you say that, let me remind you of another scripture. Deuteronomy eight eighteen says, remember the Lord your God? He's the one who gave you what? The power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors on earth. He doesn't give us just power to be obedient. He gives us the power to the things we have in our life, the things that we possess. So if we can understand the role of God in our role, God's role is this. He's God. He is in charge. He gives these things to you and me. Our role, we're managers of God's creation and gifts. What we have has been given to us. When we get those roles confused, that's when life gets tough. Because sometimes we think, well, we own it all, right? But understand this. Here's the first thing he told his people. We're getting ready to leave Egypt, right? We're going to Exodus. One of the first things God says to him, and look at Exodus with me, chapter 13, 1 and 2. It's a biblical principle called first fruits. It says, the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. God says, here's what's called first fruits. Your first animal, your first child, it belongs to me. So give them to me. And as the people are getting ready to leave Egypt, they're like, okay, so we're going to bring our firstborn to God. It's important enough that actually 10 verses later, he repeats himself again. He says, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. Oh, not done. God's going to say it again later in Exodus. 23:19 he says as you harvest your crops bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God first firstborn of the animals firstborn of mankind first fruits they belong to God now this was new to these people because remember, they grew up in Egypt. They had a culture that was saturated with, we give everything to Pharaoh, and uh, whatever we earn, we get to keep, and so forth. And now it's like, no, first fruits goes to God. God needs to be first. Solomon, wisest man to walk the earth, right, besides Jesus, said this, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he'll fill your barns and grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. Your first fruits belong to God. He was establishing this with his people. Some of you don't know this, or maybe you did. If you're here day one with us, when we first launched at Sky Cinema, it was like 13, 14 years ago. When we first launched in the movie theater, our first offering was a, was a brown cardboard box. We were like, oh, offering, what do we do? Let's get a box. We talked about, you know, we set a box out. That first offering actually went to a mission trip 
some young people that were going down to help with hurricane relief. And so we, we gave away our first offering. And we moved into the school, our first offering, we gave away. We always felt it's our first offering in this building. Thank you, God, for the building. Let's give away the offering. Well, what if we needed to keep the lights working? God provides. So we gave it away. Here's the thing. God's first. God's first. He can't be second. So when we give back to God first fruits, we're affirming who God is. He's first. So when we give our first fruits, we're just affirming it. We're just saying, you are first, God. You're first in my life. And when we give our first fruits to God, we're trusting God for everything else that's going to take place of all of our needs to be filled. When we give our first fruits to God, we're showing our commitment and love towards him. Just like this. Imagine like this. You're, for those of you that are in the dating scene, this is fresh for you. For those of you that are married, think back. Um, for those of you that want to be dating, dream about this moment, okay? So you're, you find that person, you start dating them, and, and you're like, man, I really like them. I'm finding things we connect with, and I, I want this relationship to go further. So we're going to make this relationship a little more exclusive. It's just going to be the two of us, and we are going to be exclusive. It's just us, right? And then it's like, man, I really like you, so let's go the next step. Engagement, and then engagement, then we're married. Oh, this is, life is awesome, right? And then everything looks really super, right? But then during the first week of marriage, you come home and you're like, yeah, um, hey, I know it's supper and you wanted me to cook, but I just brought you some leftovers for my lunch today. And then a couple weeks later, you're buying flowers for somebody else. And then a little bit later then, you're like, oh, I'm spending more time every evening with my buddies and all my hobbies and not with my spouse. Let me tell you what's going to happen. It's going to be called a rocky relationship, and you're going to be meeting with me or somebody else or Joy. Somebody, you're going to be meeting with somebody to figure out some counseling here because your marriage is going in the wrong direction. Why is that? Because your spouse, who you said is all about you, it's not about them anymore, is it? The same thing happens spiritually. When we give our life to Jesus Christ, we recognize that God's a holy God. We are sinful people. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us, to redeem us and rescue us so we can have a relationship with him. We're like, yes, I've got a relationship with Jesus. I've prayed. I've asked for forgiveness. He's forgiven me. I'm a Christian. I want to get baptized. You know, it's all exciting. And then, you know, all of a sudden you start spending time with other things and God becomes second and then third and fourth. And we wonder why our relationship is in trouble because we're no longer giving God our first fruits, our best. When we choose to make God second, that is exactly what's going to happen. In Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going I'm to read. This is what Moses would have shared with the people as they're going through all this thinking, why should I give first fruits? I'm just going to read a bunch of Scripture here. I'll put up on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll start in verse 1 and 2. Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you'll live and multiply. You'll enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. It's like, yes, remember 40 years we wandered through the wilderness? We were, like, God's testing us, right? He goes on to say, He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Remember that verse? That's the verse that Jesus quoted when he was being tempted by Satan. He's like, uh, we don't live by bread alone. We live by the word of what God, right? 
Verse 6 goes on to say, So obey the commands of the Lord, these words, better than bread, the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams, pools of water, fountains and springs that gush out of the valleys and hills. And he goes on in verse 8 and 9 to talk about how awesome this land is. Then he gets to verse 10 and says, And when you've eaten your fill, because, man, you've been blessed, right? It's like a Thanksgiving meal. Be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. But that's the time to be careful. Because that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulation, decrees. I'm giving you today. Sometimes we can sit around a Thanksgiving table around a group of people and like, this is so good. I'm so blessed. Stop right there. Give thanks. It's like the scripture says, be careful because in that moment you're feeling really good. You've maybe you've forgotten who to thank for all this. Scripture goes on to say, verse 14, do not become proud at that time and forget that the Lord, your God, who rescued you out of slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness because that's what God does. He rescues us all from where we've been. Verse 17, he says, he did this, all of this, so you would never say to yourself, I've achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. It's like God's reminding his people, hey, this is quite a journey, but it is so worth it. Where we've been and all that's been given to us, we should never forget to say thank you to God because he is faithful. This is what he wants. So going back to Exodus chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, it says, This is what you must do when the Lord fulfills the promise he swore to you and your, and your ancestors. When he gives you the land where the Canaanites now live, you must present all your firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. A firstborn donkey may be brought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or young goat in its place. But if you don't buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. What happens here, God gets into this process about firstborn and sacrificing. And well, if you have a firstborn and it's clean, it's good, there's no problem with it, sacrifice to God. If your firstborn is sort of messed up and unclean and, and there's problems with it, then you must find another animal that is clean and sacrifice for it. Because you can't offer an unclean animal to God. It has to be holy, it has to be clean. So find it. And if it's not the firstborn, we'll provide a firstborn, we'll find something else. This is sort of what Moses is getting at here. But you know what all this is pointing to? It's pointing us to the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, as he pointed at who? Jesus. Romans 8, 29 says, For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son. Listen, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Colossians 1.18 says this, Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning and supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. Jesus Christ is the firstborn. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. What we see in Egypt, God was saying, I'm just going to show you how it's going to happen down the road. Because none of us are clean. None of us are holy. We need somebody to be sacrificed on our part. Somebody take away our sin. That is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Because in the Old Testament, the firstborn was given to God, but if it's unclean, you need to find a clean animal to sacrifice for the unclean. You guys follow me on this? So I love how the scripture, God's like saying, listen, 
As we're starting this new community, learn to give your best to God. Give your first, your firstborn. And by the way, when you make that sacrifice, if you, your firstborn's not clean, find something that is and make sure the sacrifice happens because that's what's going to happen down the road because all of you, all of us are unclean. We're all sinners. We need one who is holy, one who is clean to take our sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God. You see, it costs these people a lamb. It cost God his son. God gave his son for you and for me to redeem us, to save us. He sent his firstborn. And I think in response to all of that, what God was looking from the children of Israel, what God looks for us right now is this. Thank you, right? Isn't it appropriate for us as people of God to think about what he has done for us and say, Thank you. A verbal thanks would be awesome, right? But he wants more than that. He wanted our first fruits. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 11, there's a scripture here where God says, I'm the Lord. I don't change. That's why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the day of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. In other words, I told you about first fruits and a lot of you didn't listen. You guys remember that? I I told you that when you left Egypt and my people did not listen. Verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. You ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You cheated me in tithes and offerings due to me. You're under curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse so there'll be enough food for my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heavenly armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. I love it. God's like, go ahead. Try to outgive me. You can't. When you think you can give, I will give more. Your crops, verse 11, will be abundant, for I'll guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall or will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord heaven of armies. You see, these people were no longer following God's commands. God told them when they left Egypt, give your firstborn, give your first fruits. But as time went on, God's people stopped giving. We're not going to give anymore. And God calls them out on it. I want you to think about this. Let's say your car breaks down. Not running. He's like, you know what? My, my neighbor, my buddy over here, He's got a car. So I go to my neighbor and it's like, hey, can I borrow your car? I need to take it uh, for the next day because mine isn't working well. And the neighbor's like, hey, you know what? We're going on vacation for a week. You can borrow my car all week long if you want. Really? Yeah, thank you. So you take the car and you borrow it for the week. Neighbor comes back from vacation. And the neighbor's like, comes over to your house like, um, they're back from vacation. Can I get my car? And you're like, you know, I've been praying about it. I really like your car, and I really appreciate you letting me borrow it. So I think I'm just going to hold on to it for a while. And your neighbor's like, but it's my car. I know, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Now, when somebody takes something from you that doesn't belong to you, we have a word for that. Stealing, right? I think we're familiar with that word. So how is that relationship now with me and my neighbor? I took something from him that doesn't belong to me, and I'm not giving it back. Think that's a good relationship? No, it's been fractured. Oh, it's, it's going to be very tense. When God 
gives us everything. We're stewards of it, right? And then we give back to him first fruits. And when we choose not to give back to him, it's called stealing. And we wonder why our relationship with God is rocky. That's what's happening here in this scripture. And and when you look at that, it's like, wow. Question. So am I giving back to God? Am I giving God first fruits? Am I giving God my best? Or am I giving him my leftovers? I'm going to tell you something. That's hard because I know scripture, Old Testament, talks about a tithe of 10%. And right now across America, they did a survey. Across America, the average Christian gives 2%, not 10. Now for me, I grew up in a house where my mom and dad said 10%. Didn't matter what life is like, 10%. So for me, it's always been 10%. When Jenny and I got married, whatever we had, 10% goes to God. Now, life hasn't always been great for us. We had a time when we were struggling financially. Our kids, we qualified for reduced lunch meals. Oh yeah, we could get the freebies. We were selling things on eBay while I was part-time with no insurance, trying to make sure we paid the bills. I remember one time, Jenny's praying for a pair of, pair of jeans. She, was, she found a $20 bill somewhere, I can't remember, and she's like, yes, I can finally get my pair of jeans. I've been praying for it. And it's like, yeah, we were praying for pants, okay? I mean, that's, that's where we were in our relationship financially. We're okay now, but during that time, it's always 10%. And God always blesses. What I've learned is that God never needed my money. He wants my faith. He doesn't need funds. He just needs faith. And Malachi challenged the people to that. He's like, or God challenged the people that in Malachi. He's like, go ahead, test me. Go ahead, try to outgive me. Remember what I established in Egypt? Actually, I established back in the garden. First fruits. First fruits. Thanksgiving is, is beyond turkeys and pilgrims and traditions. It goes back further in history. It goes back to biblical history. And it just reminds me that we have a God who loves us. He gives to us. I think it's only appropriate then that we respond back by one, saying thank you to God, two, learning how to give back to God. And I'll ask you to pray about that. Like I said, this church is a very giving church. So this sermon was not about, hey, we need to beef up our giving. This sermon was about, let's keep this journey going. Let's keep trusting God with everything he's given us that we can give back to him freely. Because when we give back to him, we're being obedient. That's part of the journey as being a Christian. It's part of our DNA. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. As they're coming forward, I just, I was thinking about it. It's like right now, I want you to think about all the Lord has done for you. Just think about that right now. What has the Lord done for you? Are we people of praise, even in difficult times? Even when it's challenging, can you find reason to give him praise? Absolutely. God is great and he cares for us. And that should bring us joy. And that should give us an attitude of being thankful. We just need to trust our Heavenly Father. I I heard about a pastor one time. He was over in Africa teaching. And he was teaching on this Malachi passage, Malachi 3. And as he was teaching on giving and trusting God, he said, he pulled this pastor aside. In our culture here in Africa, we do something with our children when they're young. He goes like, when they're three years old. We put them up in a tree and we have them grab onto a branch way high up in a tree. And the father stands below that child. And then the father tells the child, let go. 
I'll catch you. And of course, like any child is hanging on to a tree branch, like, I'm not letting go, I'm not letting go. Right? You just got to pry their fingers. Eventually, they're going to let go. But what do they have to do? They have to trust that when they let go of what's in their hands, that their father is going to take care of them and catch them. And really, that's what it comes down to sometimes in Christianity. Sometimes we're just grasping on to so much, we've got to let go and trust that God's going to take care of us. Would you stand, please? We've got an amazing God. We have many reasons to be thankful, but we want to give him thanks. We want to continue our journey as Christians of being the church and living out our faith, and this is part of the journey. So I encourage you, continue to say thank you. Continue to give to God. It'll never disappoint you. I've never heard anybody say, I wish I wouldn't have given to God. Never heard that. Never heard that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. We thank you, Lord, for this moment. We thank you that we can worship you. We thank you for opening up, being open with your word and learning about you, the amazing God that you are, and how you've given us your son, Jesus Christ, the firstborn, the Lamb of God. I love how when we look at the Old Testament, we see the New Testament. I love now, Lord, that even in the midst of things going crazy in this world or just different than what it used to be, we can still find reasons to say thank you, starting with thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for new life. Thank you. Lord, we want to sing to you now. In thy name we pray.